Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by Jennifer Minard-Chand. Um, I've been trying to get my pronunciation of the Minard because it's a French-Canadian background, indigenous background, Jennifer has. Fascinating conversation that you'll hear today. We'll touch on a number of things from indigenous past through to what is a very tough childhood she had and, and how that's impacted through to the successful career now with Staff Shop, um, which is in the hospitality industry and staffing and resourcing. And, and we'll talk a lot about the Indigenous background. We'll talk a lot about her struggles with imposter syndrome and how she's overcome those. So it's, it's, for me, it's, it's the story that I can resonate with myself around having this concept about belief in yourself, but being constantly undermined by some of the things that we hold in that imposter syndrome, different types of imposter syndromes, as she'll talk about on this today. So uh, delighted to, to welcome her on. She's an amazing speaker and look forward to hearing your feedback on it. So tell me about the market. You're getting busy, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of our hospitality and event clients are coming back fast and furious, especially on the flagship event side, since uh, they were pretty dormant for the last couple of years. So uh, new business is not an issue right now. It's finding talent. I would say only 50% of our hospitality and event staff came back this year. And so uh, that, that's the most challenging part. Yeah, and you and uh, most of the clients, most of our work is about going in and looking at retention or, you know, the the great migration coming in there. So the, the, there's something going on in the movement. But as we were talking about before, where they're going, we just don't know. It's, uh, yeah. There's something also called the great return I'm hearing, where people are leaving and then coming back. So. <laughs> yeah, I've been chatting about these topics. Uh, it started off as the great resignation. Yeah. I had some talks uh, on changing it to the great reality or the great opportunity. Love that. Certain people are, are definitely have left the industry or uh, are on to other things, but uh, there's always newcomers and people that need to be trained and, and want to join uh, various industries. I mean, hospitality and events is a big one for us, but uh, we do provide staff across Canada on the IT and professional services side and uh, in other areas. So, Mm. Yeah, any yeah. of any organization uh, you could think of, we provide staff from junior to executive level. So lots of opportunity. That's great. My daughter wants to go into hospitality because we do a lot of work in the luxury sector. So the current year in London, uh, Claridge's, Rosewood. So it's always fascinating to me when she goes in and how she sees, you know, the, the people operate. And it's, I'm very lucky I've got the contacts I've got to be able to get her to, to see that. But it's it's uh, an industry I love, I'm passionate about in terms of hospitality. So, yeah, fantastic. Definitely. So, so Jennifer, tell me, tell myself and, and the listeners a bit about yourself. Maybe take you back into your story. That would be great. Yeah. Well, I'm First Nations Ojibwe, uh, first off, mm-hmm. and French-Canadian. And I grew up in Northern Ontario, Canada. I had a pretty great childhood, actually, up until my parents got divorced when I was seven. And so that kind of flipped my my world upside down. And my mother, unfortunately, ended up with a string of men that did not treat her very well. And the last one became my stepfather. Yeah, he abused her quite a bit uh, verbally, physically. And so I spent the majority of my teens trying to save my mother Mm. and did not succeed in doing that. And our relationship was damaged quite a bit over time. Mm -hmm. And that kind of turned me into a bit of a 
rebellious teenager and set me off onto quite a few dark paths until I, I found my way again. There's lots of stories in that story. Uh, and then I would say I moved to Toronto when I was about 20. I'm, I'll be 38 this year. So moved when I was 20 and uh, worked in hospitality to get myself through school. Landed a job with uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is the organization that uh, hosts uh, all of our national hockey, basketball teams, concerts, etc. in a big stadium. So it's nice. probably the best gig you can get in hospitality in, in Toronto. And uh, from there, met a lot of great contacts and mentors. And uh, my Yoda, whom I call Jeff Fagg, uh, who owned a staffing company and had asked me to work in the field. And so... I ended up making my mark in staffing between 2008 and 2018, mm-hmm. full service uh, staffing and, and recruitment firm that I've been around for a very long time. And uh, yeah, I just held various positions there and ended up creating my own division, the hospitality and event division, right. which I then bought from my mentor at the end of 2018 when he decided to sell his whole company. And so I renamed it Staff Shop and that's how Staff Shop was born. And yeah. Uh, we stayed in in hospitality as a niche, and mm-hmm. we were growing quickly until the pandemic closed the curtain on that niche pretty hard in March of 2020. But uh, it, it was a gift because it forced me to work on the business as opposed to in it. And mm-hmm. I ended up opening up the door to being more of a full-service staffing firm, which is where I come from. So we grew from four to eight service lines. Uh, we operate across all 10 Canadian provinces, and um, we have a couple clients in the U.S. and the Caribbean. I have... Uh, plans to expand globally, especially on the flagship event side of things. Yeah, but today, I mean, I spend the majority of my time uh, speaking on Indigenous truth and reconciliation, uh, speaking to entrepreneurs or mentoring entrepreneurs, especially Indigenous uh, women-owned businesses. I speak a lot about EDI, supplier diversity. The rest of the time, I am focused on sales, moving uh, the company forward, um, making sure that I'm clearing the path for others to grow. And I uh, got married in 2020 actually mm-hmm. uh believe it or not it was uh <laughs> bahamas wedding was canceled and had to be rescheduled a bunch of times but we ended up getting married anyway and i'm a new mom to a uh, seven and a half month old named gia mm, nice oh. and uh, the mom changes parenting changes your life doesn't it <laughs> it really really does and it's in a great way i mean i always yeah. wondered how it would fit a family into being the workaholic that I was. And mm. it actually helps you re-strategize and work on the business even more. So I, I'm actually very grateful. And yeah, the story is continuing to unfold, but uh, certainly a lot of stories within that kind of recap or high level review that I just gave you. I'd, I'd love to dig into a few of them if I could. So I resonate with the um, the piece about some rebellious past because I, I think sometimes there's a great expression that one of the other podcasts listen to, and they talk about the, the almost the, the ghosts of your childhood and what rattles around and, and stays with you. So I'd love to, if you had to pick one of those rebellious pasts that shaped you the most, what would it be? What would be that one? Mm. Love to dig into that. Yeah, um, there's actually probably two or three key themes that that come to mind that sometimes actually still rear their ugly heads and, um, you know, healing is a process. So the first one I would say is uh, imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, I know that many suffer from that. And sometimes it still comes up for me. You think to yourself, like, 
who, who am I to be doing this? And, you know, you've got this deep belief that maybe you don't deserve this or you're not worthy. Um, but I think the imposter syndrome started for me when I was quite young and uh, living in the, the, the domestic violence and the abuse um, because I had to be up all night till two or three in the morning trying to um, save my mother from being either beaten to death or God knows what was going to happen. And so I would, you know, run to the neighbor's house and knock on the door and ask them to use the phone to call the police. And then, and then the next day I'd have to go to school and pretend like none of this happened. I was actually okay for, for a bit. So I thought, because I poured myself into work, work was a, um, work in school. Somehow I just knew that if I stayed focused on work in school, it was my ticket out of this this mess or this situation. And, and so I did very well in school and I poured myself into work. It was a huge distraction, but obviously became a workaholic because of it. And, uh, and you keep going and going and going for years. And then you realize like, okay, you have a lot of materialistic things, but I looked at my vision board when I was 30 and it was, it was lacking purpose. Mm. I had, you know, fancy car, fancy title, big wardrobe, but uh, was pretty lonely and felt empty and, uh, actually pretty selfish. Uh, in a way, uh, it was all about me and, you know, being the top performer. And so uh, what ends up happening and how imposter syndrome came back to to haunt me was I was at the top of my game. I was winning all the time. I was in sales, but I was a perfectionist. And, and mm-hmm. there's different types of imposter syndrome. Perfectionism is one of them. And when you are focused on perfection, not only does that put a lot of pressure on you, but other people get used to that and they kind of expect it from you. Uh, My boss included. I mean, sometimes he'd have to remind himself of like, yeah, you're not perfect, but it's just, you know, most of the time you appear to be. And so I'm actually shocked if and when you do drop the ball. Uh, This one time, a long story short, I had prepared for a presentation and my boss changed the slides on me at the last second and I wasn't really used to improvising. I was used to just planning everything perfectly. So the beginning of the introduction, for some reason, I just froze. And I forgot what how I was going to start this presentation. And mm-hmm. I froze for maybe 10 seconds. It felt like an hour. And I had everyone in the boardroom looking at me. And this this was not a group of people that were warm and fuzzy. So it made it even worse. Anyway, luckily my boss was in the in the room and I ended up being able to uh, ask her to start. And then I jumped back in and we finished the presentation just fine. We actually won the business and then turned it down, which was bizarre. But hmm. that that episode, I can't even tell you what it did to me. Like I was embarrassed. I was mortified. I could not believe that I had done this. It was like, hmm. you know, you're supposed to be the best. You get paid this much. Like you're not allowed to fail. Failure was just not an option. And I remember going back to the office and uh, my boss was like, Jen, like, you've got to just calm down. It's all good. You you froze for a few seconds. I mean, it's barely noticeable. And I'm so sorry. This is unacceptable. It won't happen again. And I beat myself up about it for a long time. And what ended up happening was that created a phobia of future introductions. Wow. Once in a while, every time I would go to start a presentation, if I wasn't, you know, focused on staying present and I let my mind wander, I would be afraid that the same thing would happen. So I would feel this fight or flight feeling until I got going. 
and until you know, I was able to to kind of you know be in the in the moment and and, and you know be confident that I knew what I was saying. So, long story short, it happened again years later. Uh, big piece of business, and I lost that piece of business. I came in second this time because my presentation was just a little all over the place. I was rambling. So once again, crushed, devastated. And uh, that was a big learning experience. It tied it back to PTSD and yes, the imposter syndrome. But uh, I had been in therapy for quite a few years to deal with some of the things that had happened. And one of the things that helped me get out of this was EMDR therapy. EMDR is is a great type of therapy that almost kind of like resets your brain. It's it's not talking therapy, and that was some of the 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 therapy that worked the most for me because it would bring me back to those moments and kind of de-escalate them in, in my mind and and help me actually process the emotion that was locked up perhaps in my body or my mind. And uh, then when I thought of these moments, they they just wouldn't have the same effect. Mm. Tell me a bit more about the EMDR, because for those listening who don't know what it is, because I think a lot of these, you know, whether we do it ourselves, we get therapy, other, a lot of the thinking and the thought processes that go on the mind are, are linked. So I'd love to hear a bit more about it if you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I spent years, uh, like I said, in talking therapy where I would feel good, but you're not kind of fixing the root cause. And I always felt like, oh, like I feel good talking about it, but I want to be fixed if that's possible. (laughs) And so, and then being an efficient, effective business person, I was getting impatient and I stumbled upon um, uh, a man who's got a PhD, uh, really smart. And I remember him sitting me down. He had a very different approach. He had me answer a questionnaire, was not really interested in talking too much, uh, read the questionnaire in terms of what had happened to me as a kid and was almost like, okay, I know how to fix this. <laughs> and so EMDR is, is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. <laughs> so there's something about the right and left hemisphere in your brain. And um, it's kind of a cool process. You'll basically be sitting there and you'll have something either in, in your right or left hand or at the same time. The therapist will bring you back to that moment that caused a lot of trauma, ask you to rate it from one to 10 let's say it's at an eight, he will then ask you to think about that moment and then um, have these these things in your hand kind of buzzing uh, left and right, one after the other simultaneously. And there's some things that the therapist does and says along the way to try to help you kind of bring back the memories. And it's interesting because some things come up that you never thought would, that you just all of a sudden remembered. Um, and the idea is to bring that rating down. Um, and you keep doing that until it comes down to, you know, as close to one as possible. It can work the other way around as well. Let's say you're completely blocked off emotionally and you think about a moment like that and you say, well, that doesn't really bother me anymore. I would classify it as maybe a one. He'll actually try to work the opposite way and bring you back up to 10 so that you can process those emotions and then back down again. So uh, I really felt like, you know, at first I was, I was you know, wondering if this would work, but it's great for, for panic attacks, anxiety, phobias, etc. So yeah, I have to say that's the most effective therapy I've ever done. That is amazing. And thank you for sharing that because it's, uh, it's, you know, that this piece for other people to hear because I, I had a breakdown and I, I look back and I didn't, I didn't have any form of therapy, but, 
but I did a number of things over my career which have gradually helped me. But I, it's this desire to be fixed or to be better. And it was only when I realized that I'm perfectly imperfect. That's the, the mindset I was starting to hold that I, that I got there. But I'm always fascinated by um, the mindset that you need to take and the mood set you need to take when you're going through something like that as well. So thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's also interesting that, you know, when people look at people and say they're successful, successful business owner, and then they go, wow, they're so confident. And, and to anybody watching or listening, they say, wow, she's so confident. But it, underneath that, is all this work you do um, to support yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And the work I don't think ever ends. I mean, it certainly gets better, uh, especially if you, you know, continue to um, surround yourself with good people and have coaches and mentors and et cetera. Like there's a list long of things that you, I think person needs to do to, uh, to get out of the, the dark, but uh, it, I think it's a lifelong process because if I kind of let some bad habits creep in or kind of uh, lay off the gas on certain things, it, you could feel it coming back. So I always wonder and ask certain people, you know, later in life in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, are you ever fully healed? Is that even possible? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When do, when do you get there? I always remember going to my wife's um, grandfather's funeral. It was an amazing guy. And there was there was this person in the room, so he must have died when he was about 85, 90. But in the room, there was this youngish looking, when I say youngish, about 60 uh, old uh, man there. And I got chatting to him. And it turns out he was the same age as Rome, who had passed away. But I asked him his secret. And it was, it was fascinating. He'd spent most of his life living, later life, living in Cambodia. And it was all about meditation, yoga, and good eating and therefore he had this peace so he seemed the most zen person in the world but he says it a bit like you're saying it's a lifelong journey that's how he's lived and looks amazing at that particular age it, it is fascinating to think of. yeah i'd love to take you back to the mentoring the indigenous side because i am fascinated by the indigenous uh, background and the the, the seven generation principle is one of the ones that I'm I'm looking at for some of the work we're doing. But I'd love to see how much that impacted on you. And then the mentoring of Indigenous women uh, entrepreneurs is, is fascinating to me. So just love you to, to maybe give a, for those who don't know about the Indigenous culture and background and, and how it's impacted on you, that would be fascinating to go there. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a, an important um, topic to shine light on, especially these days, unfortunately, with things that are going on in the world. I actually didn't connect with my Indigenous roots until probably my late teens. My mother, uh, th that's the Indigenous side of me, mm -hmm. my mother didn't really talk about it much. I, I don't know if she was afraid that we would be stuck in some sort of stereotype or if there was some sort of shame or embarrassment, but she didn't really talk about it much until my grandmother passed. My grandmother was uh, First Nation, full First Nations, so we spoke the language and everything. I do remember spending summers up on Manitoulin Island where, where my tribe is. And my grandmother taught me a lot about just uh, some of the, the fun traditions. I mean, cedar trees, for example, are medicine and uh, protection and so uh, are seen as that. And so when there'd be a storm outside, she would run outside and, and grab some some everywhere and in our pockets and uh, she really believed in, in cedar uh, being very healing and so I, I remember these great moments but mm. never really claimed I guess my first nation status until later on in life and really started embracing the culture and uh, learning about it and my indigenous mentor Holly Fortier she's awesome she's a speaker a filmmaker 
I saw it in her training one year and just could not believe what I was hearing. I mean, I knew very little about what happened to our people and um, I became very passionate at that moment to really make a difference. So Staff Shop is a certified diverse supplier. We're obviously Indigenous and women-owned. So we're connected with a lot of the associations. And uh, I definitely want to go on tour someday to all of the communities across Canada and see what we can do for each community because all the communities are so different. But I think it's important for people to remember a few things to help move reconciliation forward. And so some of the higher level things are, you know, across Canada anyway, there's about 634 First Nations and 600 of them are still in poverty. And poverty is our biggest issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It creates these undercurrents and these barriers that make it very difficult to move forward. Indigenous peoples are also only about 4% of our population, our total population. So sometimes I'm going to focus on the employment side, obviously, because I'm a staffing agency. But, you know, sometimes our clients will come to us and say like, okay, I want to, you know, hire some Indigenous talent. And first, I always remind people like it's it's going to be difficult because just just based on the population, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, 50% of First Nations still live on the reserve and 50% live off the reserve. For the ones that live on the reserve, there's even more barriers. I mean, just basic things that, maybe you wouldn't think of like clean water, um, transportation, food, internet access. Yeah. And so, you know, if people could offer remote work and think about these things might be a little bit easier to attract indigenous talent, but the biggest problem is actually retention um, because of the corporate culture shock and because of how different culturally um, indigenous people can be compared to the corporate world that I, that I've been living in for a while. So We do a few things to try to remove some of those barriers. I mean, clearly our network and our using our platform to provide uh, equal employment opportunities and equal pay and decent work is is step number one. But uh, we have people conduct a a quarterly self-declaration survey where they can self-identify anonymously and confidentially. And we're tracking stats to make sure that on the equity, diversity and inclusion side of things, we are actually providing equal opportunity to everyone, including Indigenous people, of course. But, uh, even with that, still pretty difficult to make a big difference. I mean, it takes it's going to take a while. Uh, I think that sharing power and privilege like I have at this point is, is very important. So I always ask business leaders, you know, if you have that power and privilege, like, please share it. There's also the uh, the retention piece. We have a what we call an Indigenous retention representative, a kind of program or idea around helping employers ensure that the Indigenous talent get through the probationary period. It could be that representation uh, through our consultants or us ourselves to make sure that they feel supported and that if there's any issues in terms of the corporate culture shock that I mentioned, then we can hopefully rectify that and keep things moving because um, retention is definitely the biggest issue. And then on the supplier diversity side, because we are a diverse supplier, I do speak a lot on that topic. I try to help big businesses understand like the barriers and, and how to make it a little bit easier for us to be able to do business with larger firms. And then on the mentorship side, Uh, I love to mentor and uh, inspire and give hope to especially Indigenous women, but uh, entrepreneurs in in particular. And uh, there's a great company called Futurepreneur that uh, I'm a mentor for and uh, currently mentoring this one girl right now who's just a star and uh, super excited about being able to use my resources and my platform to give back. 
and that's why I speak a lot about it as well, because I think uh, speaking is is one of the fastest ways that I could get the message across. Yeah, so those are some of the things I've been up to these days on that topic. So I wanted to come back into a couple of things you said, because you talked about difference um, and different background in the water, understand drinking water and, and things like internet, broadband. But you talked about some of the, the culture shock of going into corporate. I'd love to explore a bit about that, because one of the areas we're looking at is understanding more about where people come from and how we can be more accepting uh, in the organization around that. So I'd love you to talk a bit more about some of the culture shock pieces. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, just, you know, going back to colonialism, you know, we were almost wiped out as a race, I guess, or it's it's almost like in our cellular memory, this like oppression, suppression, uh, the, the abuse. And so mm-hmm. I, I think it's just, you know, a combination of generational curses that are passed down um, and this lack of opportunity and barriers mm-hmm. for, for years and years and years and years. And so just remembering that most Indigenous people carry that with them. And so uh, what I've noticed and what I've seen in environments is just, you know, little things that might create confusion or a disconnect with the employer we don't really always make eye contact we we find it strange to you know stare at someone in the in in the eyes so sometimes indigenous people will look down while you're talking to them and that could strange handshakes are usually not firm not seen as something that you should do is 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 give a firm handshake and so you know sometimes people judge you on your handshake and judge you on what you're wearing or how you your your body language right so there's there's body language that's different not being comfortable speaking up to really anyone especially the manager as uh that's almost seen as a lack of respect or you know how dare you like think you can bring anything up and so those are just kind of, you know, sounds basic, but if a person is operating that way all day, you can imagine, you can only imagine like there's things going on inside of them that they're not telling you they could be treated a certain way and, and, and also not saying anything about it and just misunderstood really. Cause there was a debate on LinkedIn and somebody had uh, posted about, and it was quite a, a strong post, but it was basically saying that the definition of professional or professionalism was almost a construct to keep some of the the undiscovered leaders in their places, yeah, rather than actually because, and it, it, there is a bit in there that's a handshake, firm handshake, and there's other cultures in the around the globe. For India, for example, uh, firm handshake doesn't really come across a lot of the times unless they've they've learned and they've worked in there. The eye contact again is is another one. So this cultural dimension about getting people to be absorbed in the culture to be professional in inverted commas and I, I fought against it just even as a white male with privilege growing up I, you know I didn't want to be told what to do and I didn't want to conform I don't want to wear a shirt as I was talking about before you know earlier on so so how do you work particularly in hospitality because that's a hospitality sector where uh, people are meeting greeting and so how do you get either to train or to to acclimatize uh, the indigenous people into that i'd be fascinated to see what you do in that space yeah Mm -hmm. it's really hard right because there isn't much you can do sometimes as a person or organization to change like uh hundreds of years of of this type of 
damage that's been done. Um, all we can do is, you know, move forward one day at a time. But, um, you know, we've, we've hosted like some job fairs and have helped people with resume writing and, and interview, um, you know, skills. We really try to keep these barriers in mind to remove all the judgment and, and close any gaps that, that we might see. The other piece is just removing stereotypes, I think, and training your staff to not fall into the trap of of believing some of these stereotypes. There's kind of like five key stereotypes. Um, uh, One of them is the alcohol. It's just like, oh, you know, Indigenous people just drink. And yeah, that's that's true. I mean, sometimes you will see people on the street or whatever it may be, but you can only imagine why uh, once you look into the history and someone actually compared it once to, okay, but other people go to a concert, let's say, and drink and, you know, maybe cause ruckus. And so why are we pointing the finger there? There's this whole idea around, you know, oh, well, you guys don't pay taxes. And so what more do you want? Like, do you, what else can, what more can we do for Indigenous people? And so we do pay taxes. Sometimes we get little tax breaks here and there, but there's no such thing as like not paying taxes. And even if you save on tax, you usually have to be on a reserve and, and it's a lot more complex than what people think. It's, it's not at all this idea around we don't pay taxes. And then I would also say like the get over it type thing. So yes, going back to my point, like what more can we do for Indigenous people? So yeah. uh, some people had come to me and asked me that question. And I was always taught to just from my Indigenous mentor to flip that around and say like, it's like, we're not a problem to be solved. It's more about what more can you learn from Indigenous people? There's a lot of ways that you can support in order to move reconciliation forward, um, support the arts, support the music, train your employees, just learn as much as you possibly can. And I think you'll be able to help in you know the way that you can going forward, because there's this whole kind of, well, you know, get over it. Some, some just don't understand, like, how long are we going to have, you know, people today pay for what their ancestors did? Yeah. And not really about that. Um, I don't think that we are looking for revenge in any type of way. We're looking to be understood and be finally acknowledged and, and honored even in some ways and apologized to. And all we can do is move forward with a spirit of forgiveness and love because, at least from my perspective and how I was trained, I do actually come from a place of forgiveness and understanding and and love going forward. Whereas, you know, some of my friends are still coming from a very angry, bitter place, uh, especially when they're speaking and, and, and that's understandable, but I guess it depends who you are. I, I'm more focused on the solution and uh, that's more my approach. And just, mm. you know, so that, you know, reconciliation is moving forward. There's a lot being done today and uh, in the, in the recent past. And so uh, there is hope. It's not all doom and gloom. Mm. Uh, but I think it really starts with just education and, and, and really understanding what actually happened. And, and then I think you'll find your place in terms of what you should do about it. Mm. I mean, it, it is for me, it's it, like all equity and inclusion, seen, heard, understood and accepted into that. But it's I, I think what you're talking about here, which, which I always, there was a New Zealand colleague of mine who gave me the expression, which is uh, the ability to dance with the music others bring to you rather than getting them to dance with your own music. And there's so much we can learn from the indigenous culture and how, you know, in the past they've dealt with society, the world, 
um, and resources. So I also just think it goes back to your your grandmother with the cedar and the trees and the care. There's something about the connection to the planet as well that, that is in there. What else for you is is the, the bit that we should be celebrating? Because I, I love, I could geek out in this for ages, and I know it's, it's about reconciliation, but it's it's also about learning so much from what Indigenous people can teach us. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a spiritual side that is so special and connected to the land. That's where the land acknowledgements come from, and that's another thing that I should probably touch on. People had asked me, you know, how do you do land acknowledgements? Sometimes they sound insincere or rehearsed. Certainly, it makes sense to make reference to the land that you're on, but. Um, Really, it's about showing respect and and just maybe tying it to something that people can relate to. So here in in Toronto, for example, we're covered by Treaty 13 and uh, traditional territory of Mississaugas of the Credit and Ashinaabe, Chippewa and uh, and the Wendat people and uh, Haudenosaunee as well. Sorry, I should mention, but um, the important part is also uh, in some of the conversations is to kind of tie it to, uh, as an example, we've got a wild strawberry that is native to this land. And so sometimes I'll refer back to like certain trees or landmarks or plants or things like the strawberry, um, just reminding people what's been here and how it's connected to, to the land. And people start kind of wrapping their heads around that a lot more than just, you know, reciting the same paragraph. And I've also seen, a cool way to do a land acknowledgement is just a quick video of the land that you're on with just some key native plants or nature or or, or areas that uh, people can really connect to. Because yeah, just just rehearsing it is is not ideal. Those are some of the things that um, I think are important. And then just celebrating the national holidays is also helpful. I would say you know, really supporting though the, the, and embracing the arts and the music and the culture. There's so much to learn and it's so beautiful, especially the, the, the music and the singing and the dancing. And uh, people like to be entertained, right? Especially in the hospitality and event sector. So there's so much space for that. I would like, you know, anytime you're looking to entertain, maybe tap into the indigenous culture and see if you can go to a show or, or incorporate the music and the dance somehow. Mm, I love that. And it's interesting because we're coming back full circle because in a lot of ways you tapped into it later in your teens in terms of the Indigenous. Your mother was so important. You went through so much with her and then you become successful. You're you're now a mother yourself and, you know, taking care of somebody, a little, a little being and working. So thinking about what you take forward into your being a mother and parents in here, what, what are you, your thoughts? key principles you have in your mind for how you're going about that, that you've learned from your past. Mm. That's so important. So that was actually scary for me because the number one thing was, okay, I went through a really hard time in life and so did my husband actually. And we have similar backgrounds. And so we made it quote unquote, but uh, how do you teach a child now who doesn't have to go through all that to still be resilient and strong and independent. And so for me, the other part I should mention is aside from the EMDR therapy, faith, actually reconnecting with my Christian faith. I grew up Catholic, walked away for a while. Reconnecting uh, with my Christian faith really, really helped me. I always say, you know, God has the power to heal faster than decades of therapy. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was pivotal to ensure that I had healthy relationships, healthy marriage, uh, which then parenting follows. And so 
my husband and I are not shy to uh, sign up for parenting courses, go back mm. to counseling if needed. Like those are some of the things that we want to make sure we are not going to screw this up. I know we're going to make mistakes, but like we cannot screw this up because you could really, really impact the life of a child um, based on some of your decisions. I mean, they, they're so dependent on you. So I, I view it as one of the most important jobs I've ever had is to be a mother. It's super fun, but uh, it's, 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 it's incredibly, incredibly important. I, I would say more important than running 10 businesses. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, so yeah, I mean, some of the things that I would love to instill in her is just like really great values. Mm. Strong values is key. Mm. Faith, passion and freedom are some of my own core values and the values of uh, staff shop. I would really like to make sure that she's uh, she kind of thinks about what her own core values are and what her gifts are. Really making sure that we remember that she's not ours. She's a gift that was given to us. And our job is to set her up as best as we can to, you know, I say move the kingdom forward or make it in this world and, and do something positive and and make it a positive uh, difference. There's certain things like not letting anyone steal your peace. Uh, Some of the times that I've made bad decisions and anger or whatever the case may be is just because I'm, I'm, I'm letting people or a situation steal my peace and, you know, little things like never, never, ever giving up, like sounds simple, but so many people give up these days so easily give up on marriages, give up on relationships, uh, give up on a job. Never, never giving up is, is probably that staying power is, um, is great. I mean, there's so many times that I I thought, okay, I'm going to give up on this. And I look back now and it it almost makes me feel sick. Like good thing I did not give up. I I, I probably wouldn't have staff shop. I I probably wouldn't be married or have a child if I would allow myself to, to give up. Right. Mm. And so, yeah, that and showing people grace because it was shown to me by my mentor. That's the one thing that he did. That was the best thing he ever did for me is show me grace and just love me unconditionally. It it taught me to be able to do that for other people instead of being judgmental. Hmm. Uh, And just, I remember he would always say to you, like, enjoy the ride. Uh, It always works out in the end. And you really have to enjoy the ride because I did the math and I think we only have like 30,000 days or so on average on earth. Well, like if you think of it that way, it's really important. Yeah. I was chatting to somebody yesterday who said the, you know, major projects in your life about five years. So if you work out how many years you've got left on your average time on the earth, then it does focus the mind. But I, I, I love the steel piece. The grace is one of my favorite words, the grace. And, but it also just shows that you're doing the mentoring, the core part of a mentor in your life to have that. And I, you know, I always say you can't tickle yourself and actually having somebody else in to, to help you and support you in there has, has, has been huge. I've, I've loved, Jennifer, I've loved talking to you. Um, it's, it's brilliant that you are now at a place, gratefully the, the business has taken off again after the pandemic. You're starting Staff Shop is a, a great piece of work and a great organization that you're working on. I love the work you're doing in the mentoring. I really love the hearing about the Indigenous side, and I, I love the work you're doing there as well. If people want to hear more about you or connect more with you, how would they get in contact with you? Oh, yeah. So you'd always find me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Menard Shand. I also have a website for my speaker page, jmenardshand.com. Yeah, I think if or you can go to staffshop.ca uh, to, to visit uh, the, the company website. And there's various channels there to be able to uh, get in touch with me. 
Good. I've loved it. And, you know, in terms of the, the website and speaking, if you had a bit one topic which you're passionate about that you get most of the gigs around you're speaking, what would it be? I'm always fascinated. Pick one. Mm, I, you know, I did a, a, a assessment once uh, looking for my spiritual gifts, like why I was really here and faith, leadership and hospitality uh, came up. And so mm. I would say, you know, speaking about those three topics, uh, how to have faith in your people, faith in, 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 you know, things always working out and how to lead and uh, create a leadership factory and leave a legacy behind. And then the hospitality is almost like a, a service piece, serving upward and, and outward it, as opposed to inward is is critical, I think, for anyone's success. It's not until I learned to make that shift mm. did I really um, move forward in life and heal. Oh, amazing message to end on. Thank you, Jennifer. It's been a huge pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Colin. Well, folks. Jennifer Minashan, so amazing conversation. Um, I love the way we ended around the principles for her daughter going forward around not allowing people to steal your peace, which, again, is quite a spiritual statement, but I, I love that. I can imagine me uh, that in my moments of my anger and my losing my, my temper, that I don't allow people to, to steal my peace. Never give up. And then, you know, listening to as a fan of the High Performance Podcast, that's a constant theme, which is this never give up. And, uh, you know, I've reframed it in my own life about experimentation and trying and um, and always bringing front foot, but it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, and then grace and the, the grace and the grace that the mentor gave her to accept and love her as she was and, and the impact that he had in terms of the business, allowing her to buy the division that is now successful. So I loved all of the themes of the conversation and, and tapping into some of the indigenous side, which for our project around uh, connecting in 500, it is, it's a lesson for us about how we need to see others, not in stereotypes, but in the, the true person in front of us and how we can be allies and be action-oriented in what we do around that. So, Jennifer, brilliant conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to welcoming you to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast soon. Mm-hmm.